0: All right. So, welcome to the extra session. Come in and have a seat. So, yeah, first thing we'll do is um, go over any questions about the exam. Uh, maybe I should just go over like a quick topic list. So, I mean, really, the the exam is cumulative. There's really only that's the only way to do it because you know everything built on top of each other. So, we I mean, you're gonna have the midterm topics, which would be, um, you know, types and variables. Uh, control flow. So this is stuff in the midterm. <coughs> uh, arrays, functions. That's both using functions and declaring functions and defining functions. So it's really three parts there: using, declaring, defining. So I know how to do all those three. And then if you you know if you've done the homework and the quizzes and stuff, you've done all three of those, right? And if you've actually taken the midterm, you've done the first one. Functions. All right, so after the midterm, uh, we got into what are we gonna do we get into? Object-oriented program, right? So, oop, that, that's classes. And again, that's going to be using, declaring, defining. So from here, you want to know um, certainly access slash privilege levels, which I'll spell wrong up here. So that consists for us, uh, it's public and private. So know the difference between public and private member data. Um, there are a few different other access levels, but we're not going to get into for this class for the, for this course. So the ones we're really concerned with are public and private, and these mechanisms are, are are there in C++ for something called information hiding. It's a way of abstraction, and the, what happens here is that you can have a single header file, for example, that implements a stack, or rather a header file that declares, for example, a stack data structure, and you can switch out implementations of the stru- stack. So, for example, you can have different stack.cc files that correspond to different different implementations of the stack. Maybe one stack is faster with a lot of elements. Maybe another stack is, I don't know, easy to pop or something like that. So there could be different uh, attributes for different <coughs> implementations and you can swap either one in and out without changing client code. So that's, called something, that's something called information hiding. You can change the repre- internal representation of things without changing the interface. So another example or analogous example would be like changing the engine in your car. So maybe Mitsubishi makes one kind of engine that's like, you know, has zero to 60 in, in, in uh, I don't know, 15 seconds, and another one is, has more econ- you know, economy or something like that. So even though you swap the engines in your car, you still have like, the same steering wheel, <coughs> right? same gas pedals, same brake. So the interface hasn't changed, but the internals of your car have changed. So it's, that mechanism in C++ is also available to you. Good. Um, know the difference between member functions and non-member functions? So non-member functions being the ones we learned before the midterm. Um, know about friend functions, really just know that, you know, what they are. Anyone want to reiterate what a friend function is? So what's the difference between a, fem- mef- a friend function and a member function? It's kind of like to have your cake and eat it, too. That rings a bell. So the friend function, does it have access to the public and the private mm-hmm. member data? Right. <clears throat> so it had, just like friend, member functions, friend functions have access to the private member data. I mean, everyone has access to public. public. Um, unlike member functions, what's special about friend functions? It's something to do with the way they're called. Right, so if you have a member function, like for instance, um, decimal, <coughs> a fraction, fract, and you say fract.decimal, and this is in some client code, maybe it's in main. So notice that you use a selection operator here, right? You select uh, an operation or a, a, a function from an object. Right? Whereas let let's say a normal function call like like uh, mean, I guess, right, where we had an array and a size of the array. Notice that there's, this is missing. right? There's no selection operation. right? Uh, there's no object reference here. This is a non-member function. So let's say this is a main. The one caveat to that is in the definition of member functions, you actually can call member functions in this way, and that's on the implicit parameter. So if you call a member function within a member function of the same class, um, that's taken as selecting that member function from the implicit parameter, which is the object you're executing it. But otherwise, the the difference between friend functions and member functions is just the way you call them. So a member function, you use a selection operator, you select it on on an object instance, or an object rather, or object reference, and for friend functions, um, for example, like with the insertion operator, which happens to be a friend function, So the insertion operator has, it's actually a friend function of um, the fraction class, right? It has access to the private member data of that class. (coughs) Even though it's not called like a member function, right? You're not selecting an object. And the way you can rewrite this is as follows, right? So if you want to think of operators as function calls, you can rewrite it like this. So here is a function, namely operator insertion. that has access to the private member data of fractions, but it's not a member function of a fraction, right? There's no, there's no selection going on here. That's gone, or it just doesn't exist. So you know that difference. Um, and I think as far as operator overloading, it's all in net. Look for it. Difference between friend functions and non- and member functions. Um, I'm not going to ask you to overload operators, so you don't need to memorize the syntax for that. So. OK. Um, anything else with objects and classes? Know about the implicit parameter, right? Know about the explicit parameters. <coughs> How you reference the implicit parameter, just implicitly, right? So go over the, the solutions for fractions. Um, what else? Anyone think of anything else? Nothing missing something. You know how to declare on the client side. You should know how to write so the using the using part. So how to declare um, a variable of a class, right? So for example, if you have a stack class, you can make a stack by um, using the type name and then followed by a variable name. And know about pointers. So, we haven't had a, a, an official um, exercise in this. But just know basically the two operations of pointers. Come so, the two operations are reference and dereference operations. So, know how to declare. So, declaring pointers. So, for pointers. Declaring. That's really, again, defining and you. So if I want a pointer to an object, and I'll go over this more later, you just follow the um, the type name by an asterisk, and then I can say this is my s, s pointer, right, or stack pointer. So here is a pointer to the stack, right? And just know the, the two operations. So if I want to assign a value to a pointer, I just take the normal variable and use the address of operator. So know that the only two valid uh, values for pointers are memory locations, and the symptom of value zero. Okay, and then if you want to select an operation on the stack, given my pointer, I can reference my pointer, right? dereference it rather, and then select, let's say, pop, the pop member function. And the way, that the shortcut for that is my S pointer. What's, what's the operator I can use here as a shortcut for that syntax? It's also called like syntactic sugar. Just a different way of, of, of saying the same thing. The arrow? Yeah, arrow. <laughs> Let's try to give a figurative hint there. Yeah, you can see <clears throat> this. This is both the same. So one's syntactic sugar for the other. A short a hand. Um. What else? I just thought of something but I can't remember. Right, so know how to declare. Oh, right, now i it. Declare pointers um, and know the two operations, right? The address of, or reference operator, and the, the reference operator, or contents of operator. Oh, and lastly, know the relationship between... This is an important one. Relationship. Between arrays and pointers. So an array name is in relation to pointers.
1: A pointer to the
0: first element. Yeah, exactly. (coughs) Arrays are array name is a pointer to the first element of the array. So you've been using pointers all along, believe it or not. And actually, the subscript uh, operator is sort (coughs) of like a special dereference or a contents of operator. So when you use a subscript operator, subscript notation, right, the two brackets, you're actually saying go dereference that particular entry in the array. And use it like a normal variable. Great. I think that's it. And really the big one is gonna be yeah, it's gonna be this. So we (laughs) spend the most time after the midterm on this. All right, any questions? No, it's just question. Yeah. Okay, are there any questions at all? Like about the final or any course material? Yes. Um, just in general, is the format gonna be pretty
1: much like the midterm where you just like give us several problems and just say, or is it more, is it gonna be smaller scale snippets? I know the two of the problems in the midterm were pretty small
0: in retrospect, but yeah, the, the final is gonna be the same format. It's just gonna be three to six questions, whereas the midterm was like one to three questions. Okay. So yeah, you definitely expect like the same kind of format. Um, I realize I'm a very tough grader, so I I usually scale a bit. So, as you guys saw, <laughs> yes. Uh, for the programs you're gonna do, are they gonna be like declare a declaration, definition? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but you'll. I might ask you to do a member function now. Okay. So, or I might ask you to um, declare a class and then write a main function that uses the class. Mm-hmm. So, so I may, I may ask you for a main function here.
1: So, like, in that case, like, I mean, you could declare a class without actually having to write function definitions and then just implement its use, kind of like that quiz problem, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, like, with the stack, like... Right. You don't actually have to
0: write the details of its usage, just what might you need. Right, so for the quiz, I asked you, like, design a stack class, which right. means comes up, come up with the declaration of that class. Um, yeah, there could, be, there could be questions like that in the final. Because, I mean, like, in that case, you could have written
1: declaration and you could have
0: written a main file. Exactly, right? It. Yeah, I might give you like a class declaration, mm-hmm. just a declaration without the definition, and say write a main program to do this with, with you know, or write or given this declaration, give me the definition. Okay. So maybe a good thing to exercise would be to take the class declaration of the stack like we had in the quiz and write a corresponding definition. As far as practice, I mean, like, really, it's just like a math class, I think. Like, the more practice you get, the better you get at And um, I think in the back of the book, there's a bunch of, like, questions and, about chapters and stuff. It might be good to practice that. So I don't think there's, like, a whole lot of memorization that you need here. Um, I mean, yeah, you don't have a cheat sheet with, like, syntax and stuff. But I think the more you practice it, you know, the more you kind of, like, memorize the syntax, right? Like, it's, it's sort of a byproduct, I think. So it's just treat it like a math class. Just do a lot of problems and I think there's plenty of small like problems in the back of the book if you want, or just you know go over solutions. Um, take declarations, make definitions, take definitions, make, or take you know main programs or you know, different ideas. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, the ampersand on the <coughs> my stack equals ampersand my stack. Is that? Oh, my s pointer is assigned the address of. My stack. Yeah. So would that print out the uh,
1: hexadecimal address? Or that
0: print? Oh, there's no print statement here. But if you're asking if there was, yeah. So if you said see out insert s pointer, for yeah. example. So the question is, well, what if I said this? See out insert my <laughs> underscore s pointer, and s stands for pointer, uh, stack rather. So it's a stack pointer. So yeah. So what would that print? So the only two legal uh, values for pointers are either memory addresses or zero. Zero means that the pointer just points to nothing. Um, Yeah, that that prints the memory location. And yeah, it's probably a hexadecimal number. It may or may not come out on your screen. It depends on the terminal terminal emulation and stuff like that. So um, nothing meaningful anyway. So if you actually wanted to print, well, my S pointer is actually a pointer to a stack uh, object. So maybe there's... Maybe you want to print the topmost element or something like that. So so if you want to print the topmost element, you can say select my underscore s pointer, select the top element. So that peaks at the top, if you have a top member function there. So yeah, so printing just the address of the stack in memory is not going to really mean anything. So if you had a stack of integers, that would just print like the top integer. Good, good question. Anything else? No, all right, well if you guys, um, yeah, go ahead. Do we need to use like uh, assert or anything, or CMAP? Oh, um, if you need any functions, like I'll give you the declaration zone. So you don't have to memorize like libraries. Okay. So if I say you have, like it's just like in the midterm, I say you have this function available to you. It'll be like that sort of situation. So that, like there, you know, you need to know how to read like a, a function declaration and you know how to use it. So, And those, again, note a difference between, this really goes the same thing with the midterm, um, note a difference between using functions, declaring functions, and defining functions, right? So I, I see a lot sometimes people like to call functions like, like for, exa- for example, the mean function, I believe was a, it was a double, right? So the declaration of that function was double mean. Um, it was items or integers. I can't remember. So something like this. Right? So when you go to call that function, you know, make sure you're calling it using an actual array, you know, like my array or something like that. You know, leave out the brackets there, and you know, Maybe it's size five. So. so no difference between parameters and arguments. So here you have a function declaration. Here you have a function call. So these are the formal parameters, right? These are like the names of the slots of the function, and these are actually what you're putting in those slots, which are the arguments. Sometimes I see this a lot. I let me even to capture that, like that. So I see like call mean, and then, you know, something like this. So that's obviously, that, that's a declaration, right? So this, you want to use it, you want to call it, so that, that's wrong. I mean, it's really an analogous with, um, with declaring variables, right? So if I have an integer, let's say num. And if I want to assign num to like, let's say, 5, right? I would, I would say something like this, right? Num is assigned 5. I want to say int num is assigned 5, because then it would be redeclaring. Sorry. Thanks. Uh-huh. Any other questions?
1: Yes. Um, you mentioned that, uh, we don't need to focus on the operator overloading. So with like the I stream, O stream stuff, we did with like the fraction, work fall under that category because that dealt with the operator.
0: Right. Really? Um. Yeah. 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 I so think we beat that. that be was done. kind of tricky. Yeah, we beat that with the dead horse. I think. Yeah. I think we're done with that. Yeah, it was definitely
1: tricky. Um, so, is it, was that more of like a, a precursor to like upcoming classes if you were to continue on with like to deal with like file streams and stuff? Oh, with file streams. I mean, Actually, the, file
0: streams were supposed to be covered in the previous class. To this, um, so if you take, if you took two hundred two for example, I don't think you did. Yeah, you didn't do file streams. Um, yeah, I do file streams sometimes. In the sometimes, I mean, we did a little bit of file streams in this class, and sometimes I, in some quarters I do do file streams. Um, but I had an example up in last class, right? How to use file streams. And it's it's really similar to using C++. Yeah. Scout, your, your so. your time, right? yeah. Um, yeah, if you're interested, I can redirect you some, to some material. So, uh, But really, we went through all that stuff, like the operator overloading, just so you know like you can read documentation of C++ code mm-hmm. so you're not completely lost. Because it's a big part of C++. So, I was just curious about innovation. Yeah, so if someone tells you, like, okay, you know, this this um, operator is overloaded for this class. Right. You know what that means. So. And um, by the way, um, one thing I've, I kind of forgot to talk about in class was really to exploit this relationship between arrays and pointers. So if you if you um, if you have a for example a function that passes in an array, well, how else could you write this? <coughs> so if I didn't want to use this bracket notation, oh, come on. take those cookies by the way, because I'm not going to be able to finish those. Oh okay. That goes for everyone. So if an array array name is really just a pointer, what could you send here? You can send a pointer, right? So in your declaration, you actually can say that you don't really take an array, but you take a pointer. So actually, these are equivalent. So if you see a function declaration where you see an int star, right, integer pointer, these are the same thing, so. And really documentation dictates um, if it's actually a pointer to a single element, right, a single in- integer, or is it an array of integers. So. Likewise, if you're going to return an array, um, you can also say n star. Like I had a sub, <coughs> a subarray function, I think, that take, given an array, Uh, returns another array. That's like a sub a subarray of that one. So you can write something like this too. Take and that would be the same thing as this. So these two notations are the same. <coughs> So the star is the same thing as practice. Yes? So what's the advantage to
1: pulling a pointer into
0: the argument? Well, one thing, well, I guess when you think about the relationship between arrays and pointers, so the uranium is actually a constant pointer, the first <coughs> element right, of the array, um, where this is not a constant pointer, it's just you actually can change this value, right? Unless you do something like this. So it's a little more flexible. So unless you say const in star ar, then that value, that that, um, that pointer can change location. So you actually can make after this call, this const keyword wasn't here, you can make this argument, or rather this argument here, point to another array, which would be strange. <laughs> um, but you may have a function that wants to do that. So it's it's a little more flexible.
1: So just to maybe repeat what you said or clarify if. If it's not a constant, like, if you don't have a constant there, then that array could
0: exist anywhere in memory? Ran- randomly? Like, um, It depends on the definition. It wouldn't be random, really, but it would be what, what the definition assigns it to. Okay. So so it, it can say, like, ARR is assigned some other new array somewhere, right. which would be a little dangerous. It depends on the function. Because, I mean, I'm just, because
1: if you don't declare it as constant, I mean, what does it matter? i just say in star array versus constant. Oh, so,
0: so the difference between the constant and yeah, star array
1: are... quite
0: sure. No, no difference. Okay. Same. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, they're both constant pointers to some piece of memory. So... What would we consider a pointer that isn't constant? Um, if you remove the const keyword here. You have it like I had it before. Okay. Like here. Yeah, so that's a non constant reference. So a non constant pointer. So that you right. can So in, Abs-
1: abstractly, what would that mean? Like if you were to describe
0: the difference. So if you had the definition of, let's say, the mean function, so that wasn't constant. I mean, let's say this is going to be like a really bad, a really poor mean function definition. So you call this mean function to get the average of the values in some array. And so this let's say this is your definition of So we'll use a non-constant um, pointer to an integer. So if we left that constant keyword out there, or didn't use the subscript notation, right, to indicate that it was an array. Um the definition seems something like this. So, ARR is assigned my AR, where my ARR is another array. So, let's say main was calling this, actually, this would swap in memory. So, if there was a call to mean, right, given, you know, let's say some array, some ARR, let's say five, you know, and there's some values in there, and then you call mean, right, some ARR, there's five values, and now if you print, Let's say the first element of some AR could be completely different. So this can print, let's say this prints 6. And then before this, I said, C out some ARR sub 0. And this would print, let's say, 5. So it could be entirely different, right? So basically, when you declare some array here in memory, there's, right, there's space for this array. And some AR is a constant pointer to this element in memory. If it switches, then wherever my AR is, now that's gone. Now it points over here. So you can flip-flop. Unless you make it a constant. Is that clear, everyone?
1: So the only way, but the only way that could change is if you wrote wrote it to do that with the function.
0: Right, but you may not have this code available to you, right? You may use be using a library function. Right. So me may be somewhere in the library, but you don't have the code to, or maybe you bought it off someone, or downloaded. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, you don't always have a definition available. So. You have the object code, right, which is not human readable, so. unless you have a decompiler, which <laughs> may or may not work. But, yeah, I'm not going to cover arrays too much, but just know that you know how to declare it how, and what operations are, are valid for it. So, the reference, the reference. Like I said, the the big chunk of it's going to be on the object-oriented program. So, great. Any other questions? OK, so um, I'm going to go over like a bit of dynamic memory, which won't be on um, the exam at all. So if you like, you can stay. Um, otherwise, you can leave. So it'll probably be, I don't know, about 20 minutes, um, hopefully. So. so I started a little bit about um, talking about this uh, last class. So basically, um, up to now, our memory pro- our programs, the memory of our programs are basically laid out by the compiler. And the compiler can do this since it knows like how large variables will be, right? So it knows that all integers are four bytes. So if you declare an integer variable, um, say my int, there's going to be a four-byte slot that will be allocated to the memory of your program, right? When you execute your program. Likewise, for arrays, um, the size specifier of the arrays are always constant, right? They're either a literal value like five I have up there, or they're a name constant, right? Like max. Um, so the compiler knows how much space to allocate for for your variables, and this is why the size specifier um, for arrays needs to be constant. <coughs> All right. So, what does an array uh, excuse me the memory look like when you're actually running your program? So, let's see. I guess I can erase this. So when you're running your program, memory that's allocated for your program is actually split in a few different parts. Some of these parts are read-only, so you can't change the contents of memory that corresponds to your program. And others are read-write, like the ones that correspond to your variables and such. And if you guys remember from the very first lecture, I think we talked about (coughs) the von Neumann architecture. And the big revelation with this architecture is that both data and instructions, or code, um, are stored in main memory, in random access memory, or RAM. So, one portion of memory, when your program executes, is for the code of your program. And it'll be in the machine code. Um, so, if you take a look at memory, when your program is running, I need a different marker here. Ah, much better. So one portion of your memory is going to be the code for your program. And this is read-only. So you can't change, you can't change that contents of memory. Uh, there's also a special variable maintained by the runtime system or the operating system called a program counter. Or for short, there's, it's called PC. So the program counter actually keeps track in this piece of memory. So these are separate instructions here. That correspond to your program. To this value is actually going to be like the current instruction, and it keeps on switching as your program goes along. And if you have like an if statement, right, a conditional statement, actually you can jump. Um, if you have a loop, it can jump at different locations. It's not always sequential. So anyway, there's some loop, there's like a, a counter. It's called the PC that counts um, that have, that stores the value of the instruction or the location memory of the current instruction. Okay, so that's that part of memory. Um, so another part of memory is for the data, right, that your program will manipulate or read from. All right, so that's for code. This is going to be for data. So the data is going to be basically variables,
1: constants,
0: parameters that your program manipulates. And many of, the, many of these are actually stored in the data structure that uh, runs along with your program called the runtime stack or also called the call stack. And actually this is the same kind of stack that we did for the quiz. So, um, <coughs> So one portion of memory that corresponds to your data is called the call stack. And that's where a lot of these variables, constants and parameters are going to live. Um, there's a caveat to that global parameters and global constants are not stored on the stack, unfortunately, so there's another space in memory for that. Uh, we won't get into that though, since global variables are bad. so actually global constants are okay, and they they're stored on a, a separate um, portion of memory. but most of the constants we've seen are actually you know within, defined within functions so okay, so um, So this call stack actually is like a stack we have in the quiz right? that you guys designed. And records get pushed on the stack. In fact, um, each element on the stack is called an activation record. And when a function is called, a corresponding activation record is pushed onto the stack. So when you call a function, and the very first function that gets called is which function? Starts with an M main, right, um, there's a corresponding entry that gets pushed onto the stack for that function. And this entry has a couple of different things, um, or a couple of different kinds of information about that, that function. And the function that is currently running or executing is always on the top of the stack. So for example, this is the activation record for main. Main calls mean. Or I'd say main calls, wow, that's really not readable, main let's say, calls um, standard deviation. And standard deviation calls mean, right? Because that was part of the equation for standard deviation. So every time a function is called, it gets pushed on the stack. And the topmost function, right? And you think about the top member function of stacks. um, That's the the function that's currently executing. When a function completes, right, when either it's a value returning function, maybe the return keyword um, is encountered, or just the end of the function hits, the activation record for that function is popped off the stack. Along with that popping, the, um, the activation record for functions, one thing that's on the activation record is something called a return address. And that is the address of the instruction in memory to go back to, so it's the value of the program counter. So that wherever, so when standard deviation called mean, right, it can continue from the same place left off, right? So it doesn't start from the beginning, for example. However, one thing to note though that on this record are also var- uh, variables and parameters for the function. So you have got a variable here. Let's call you know called uh, sum. Right, A lot of people had some variables in their mean functions. Once this is popped off the stack, that variable's gone. And this is actually where a lot of our scoping rules come from. So uh, any information on the activation record uh, when it's popped, like the value of variables is lost. And consequently, the value of local variables declared in functions are thrown away. So they're gone. And this is why we actually haven't returned arrays in functions. So we haven't had... Really, any function declarations where the return type was an array, right? For example, could have been an integer array, could have wrote something like that. We actually could have said this and, and star, right? And there's a very good reason for that. Okay, so value returning functions combat this problem, right? That the activation record's gone, that the values are gone for every local variable. Local variable being a variable that was declared in the function definition. Um, so value returning functions combat this problem by returning a value to the caller, right? So they use the return keyword. You return, the, the let's say, the value of an expression or the value of a variable. So when a function returns a value uh, using the return keyword, for example, a copy of that value is sent back to the caller. Cool. So... If you think about the standard deviation function calling the mean function, right, and let's say the mean function returns sum over n, right, which n corresponds to the number of elements in your right. So a copy of, this, of that expression, sum divided by two, which includes the value of the variable sum, is returned to the caller, which happens to be standard deviation. And that gets stored in the local variable of standard deviation. So it sort of persists in that, in that sense. It goes on. It's not completely dead. So for most variables, this is not actually a problem, right? because you can use a return keyword. However, um, and this is why the relationship between arrays and pointers is very important, uh, recalls arrays are, recall that arrays can only be passed by a reference. And there's a very good reason for that. The array name is a pointer, right? So anytime you want to talk about an array, you always use a pointer. So you would have to Pass a pointer to the array, right to the first element of the array, namely the the array name. Um, so there's no other way to, to pass an array. The array really, the array name is a reference. It is in a memory location. So, so the only way you can return um, pass arrays is by reference, and this also goes with the returning arrays as well. So it's because the array name is a pointer, i.e. memory address of the first element of the array, and if the array is allocated on the activation record. So, for example, that you know one of these local variables was an array like that. Um, that's gone once it's popped. So the return address of the first element of the array does us no good because the element no longer exists. Right? All the local variables, all the variables in this function definition, are gone once the function ends. So if you think about it. Um, <coughs> Let me go back to my. Let's see here. The sub array function. So this function took um, sub array. The size, right? The number of elements in the array, and the number of elements the subarray will have. So, for example, if you had an array like this, let's say this is where array points to. So this would be size minus one. This would be zero, and then you would just chop off from the beginning. Num elements. So let's say num was like two or something like that. So you would return another array. So this would be the returned array that just has these two first elements. Let's say it's x and y. Where x and y are some interaction. So that would be a two element array. So it's like a sub array of the other one. Or like anyone heard the term substring or subset? Sort of a similar subsequence. It's a similar type of situation. Okay, so, so we return another, let's say, integer <coughs> array. So there's your function declaration for that guy. Um, so one implication of this would be, would be as follows. And I think, it's, even though it's not going to be an exam, I think it's a good way to review for the final. So uh, let's see. So we can make another array, right? Let's call it red. So it's an array. And let's say there's some global, I think we went over this last time. There's some global uh, constant available to us, that's the maximum number. And your are right, the system can be. We'll get away, we'll use dynamic allocation to get rid of that as well, so. All right, in a pot, oh, yeah, we did over this last time, and a possible implementation would be, you know, start i at zero, and then while i is less than num, i plus, plus. And we just said ret sub i is assigned arr sub i. So it just copies the first new elements of ARR into ret. And basically, you have this situation right here. right? So this one's copied here, this one's copied there. And up to n. for you. OK, so I guess the natural thing to do would be as follows. Return ret. So this function returns a pointer right to the integer. Ret is an integer array, and the array name is just a constant pointer to the first element of the array. Right? So if you follow ret, right, here it is. It points to the first element. So that's fine. That checks, right? That's a memory location. It returns a memory location. Good to go. I could have also used the brackets here as well. So what's the problem with this, given what I said over there about activation records and call stacks? So if there's a main function that calls this function, maybe it declares a pointer, right? In star new array. And it says new array is assigned a return value of subarray of some other array. Let's say now I wanted to print the first element. Let's assume the U array is not empty. So what would that print? Any guesses? Yes. Wouldn't that be the address. Um, well, you're using the subscript operator. So yeah. So think of the array here. U A R is just an array name because array names are our pointers, right? To the first element. Uh, So this is a pointer to the first element, so we'll reference that, right? And we get the actual value of that element. Um, So let's think about it. So this executed, right? So we made this new, this array inside this function definition called rep, right? Here it is in memory. We return rep, right? Which is the location of the first element of this array. But this, this array is where? Actually, both of these, they're on the activation record on the stack. Well, actually, this one really isn't. Um, (coughs) It's a bit tricky, actually. Let me change this picture. It's really like this. Um, So the activation record ends here, and ARR is actually on here, and then it points here. So arr is on the stack, right? Because it's a parameter. It's on the activation record. And local variables like ret are on the stack as well, on the top of the stack while this is executing. When you hit return, that ends the function, right? No more execution. So what happens to this activation record pops gone, right? This one's still here because this is this is from the caller, right? But this is from the callee. This is from the called function. So ret this array that ret points to the first element of, no longer exists. Got it. So this value here in UAR actually points garbage. It's something called a dangling pointer. It's a pointer whose value is a memory location where nothing is allocated. In fact, this will probably crash the program. And this is why we have not return to raise, Because local variables like ret Right, local to function definitions are allocated on the stack, and every time the function ends, the activation record of where that local variable is is, is allocated is popped. So that's a problem. Does everyone see the problem? Yeah, good. And you can't make a copy of it, right? So you can't, you know, make a copy of the whole thing, right? Because the array right, actually is the definition of an array right, name is a constant point to the first element. Is that clear for everyone? All right, so consequently, allocating arrays that need to be returned by the function on the stack is not useful. Because once the function is finished, that array no longer exists. So in summary, there are several implementations with the call stack for storing values of variables. That includes returning arrays, like we have here, And also that the structure of the activation record is laid out by the compiler when you compile your programs. So the compiler lays out in a nice format um, how many variables it needs, uh, what the size of each variable will be. And the operating system, when you execute like a.app, for example, it replaces all those offsets with the actual memory locations. So um, the amount of memory needed must be known by the compiler at compile time. However, sometimes we don't know how much memory is required until we execute the program, right? Here's here's an example. Um, actually, that's not an example. Never mind. An example would be uh, with the arrays we've been using so far. So we combat this problem with um, by declaring arrays that have a maximum number of elements, right? Using a constant, a name constant, um, and then we have another notion of size with arrays called the actual number of elements. So you have a maximum and you have an actual. And we set this maximum number at compile time. So you guys remember we were talking about, like, uh, making a sort of, like, grading application. We said, okay, in Ohio State, you know, there can be no more than 100,000 students, right? Um, However, I think there's about 50,000 students here at this university. So you're actually using double the space. But we said we had a a very conservative approximation. We said, okay, at most, it can't be 100,000 students in Ohio State. Um, So we wasted half the amount of space, right? And if we're programming something for, like, a moat or a cell phone that has a limited amount of memory, um, that could be a problem. Also, that memory will not be available to other programs that are running on your computer at the same time. Um, On the other hand, you know, there may be more than 100,000 students at Ohio State at some point. depends how long your programs gonna be running for it, right? So maybe next year, you know, Ohio State gets extremely popular and then another 50,000 students enroll. So, what if it's not enough? In this case, the program needs to shut down and you need to recompile the code, right? Change the constant. Uh, But it's not always feasible for all types of of, uh, programs, right? So, for example, if you're thinking about a server application, right, that always needs to be running, um, like a security system, right? Shutting it down and recompiling the code is not really an option, right? So, right, and also guessing that the maximum that's too large is a waste of memory. And it may also call something um, cause call something called thrashing is everyone anyone familiar with this term thrashing or memory th- thrashing so what happens is that if your program requests more memory than you actually have in your RAM um, there's something called virtual memory that's a notion made by the compiler so what the com- uh, excuse me the operating system the operating system what it does is that if it, you need more memory than you actually have um, it allocates a space on your disk on your hard drive to sort of like swap like the contents of RAM um, from other programs that are running or even the same program that's running while new data gets stored in RAM. So this is something called a context switch. It swaps, it swaps out memory to disk. So it sort of like makes your hard disk like a portion of RAM. But What's the problem with that? Anyone take a guess? How fast is your hard disk compared to RAM? Unless you have a solid state drive, right? Uh, it's pretty slow. Um, and who can afford those, right? <laughs> Yeah, so, so if it's using this virtual memory as part of your hard disk, um, that could be very slow. And thrashing occurs when the amount of memory required by your program will not fit into RAM, and portions of memory are, are fed in and fed out through your hard disk and through memory. So you're, basically, your operating system is constantly swapping data between the hard disk and memory. And that's called thrashing. And it makes your computer's, uh, your program's very slow, actually, and very inefficient. So there's a portion of memory reserved for your program when you run your programs called the heap. And this is where dynamic memory can be allocated. So the stack isn't the only place where uh, data can be allocated for your programs. There's also something called the heap. And this is a special portion of memory where you can request allocation dynamically as your program is running. So when your program needs extra memory, it makes a special call to the operating system. And C++ is actually kind of hidden. So it's actually an operator. And in the parameter sets their language as a function. So they actually made it an operator in C++ though. And this is also called dynamic memory <coughs> allocation. Um, so what the operating system does is once it receives this call from your program if there's space on the heap for whatever kind of memory you're going to be requesting, then it allocates, you know, maybe it's an array, maybe it's a single variable. It allocates that spot on the heap and returns the address of that memory location, right, the address of that memory on the heap. So it gives you a pointer on the heap to the requested memory if it's available. If this heap is full and it's bounded, it can be full. Anyone guess what that returns then, what the operating system gives you? So if this is full, right, let's say you've allocated all the memory that you can on the heap. And you request more. What would you guess the operating system does? Blue screen. Blue screen. Um, it depends. Um, it actually returns a pointer of value zero, which is a special sentinel value, right, or points to nothing. It's also called a null pointer. And there's a, a keyword in C++, actually, with capital letters, null, which basically is just zero. So it's a pointer that points at nothing. <coughs> when your program is done with the extra memory that they're requested, you can make another call to the operating system, instructing it to release that memory so it's available in the future. So this doesn't happen, right? Um, anyone heard of something called a memory leak? Actually, Firefox had, like, a big problem a couple years ago with memory leaks. Um, so, memory leaks occur when you keep on requesting memory in the heap and never releasing it. And as your program runs for a long time, like, a browser probably you have opened, like, a lot, or maybe Windows, your operating system is open for quite a little time. Your memory just goes <clears throat> down the tube and just get drains and drains. Does anyone have to, like, reboot their computer after a couple days? Right? Guess what? It's probably due to, to memory um, not being released on the heap. So, uh, <clears throat> so let's take a look at a couple of examples of how to do this. And by the way, this is going to solve our problem with this function here. So to get a piece of memory on the heap uh, of a scalar type, it's actually really simple. The operator is called new. So let's say we want to allocate a single character. On the heap. To do this, uh, we're going to declare a, char- a pointer to a character because remember, anything on the heap um, is going to—we can only access it through a pointer. And this is actually the main motivation of pointers. There are other motivations as well of C- uh, pointers in C++. But this is really the main one. So you don't know exactly where, this, what location in memory this will be allocated. You don't even know the offset. So that's why you need a pointer. So we'll call this CPtr. And you can assign CPTR to be the location of a new character on on the heap. So the way you do that is use the new operator, followed by the type name. So this is the op, this is the type name. So there's a new character on the heap, and the address of that character is returned in CPTR. Okay, and you can use CPTR just like any other pointer, right? So you can dereference it, and you can say CPTR is a sign A. So A gets All right, to release memory from the heap, you use um, an operator called delete. And delete is a bit misleading. It actually doesn't delete the memory. There's no such thing as actually deleting memory in computer programs. You always overwrite memory. So it's delete, followed by um, the pointer name. And what delete does, really, it just marks the value uh, of the memory location stored in CPTR as dirty. And by dirty, I mean can be overwritten. So it's available uh, for other uh, <coughs> memory locations on the heap to be allocated. So it doesn't really delete it. But it says, OK, this is available. Just marks it. So that's for scalar types, right? For single variables. Um, You can also do this with objects. So, for example, let's declare uh, an array of pointers to 100 fractions. So we can say fraction pointers, F A R. I'm we'll gonna say 100 of those. Of course, you can use a name constant here, but for time's sake, I'm not gonna use one. Okay. now um, well, let's have a counter for that. So the so 100 would be the maximum size. Say a cap is gonna be the actual size. So right now, there's no elements in that array. And the way I allocate a new fraction on a heap is as follows. So actually F A R is on the stack. So if you look at the stack here. F A R which is an array. Right, points to an array on the heap. uh, Rather, the stack. So it starts at 0, 1, ends at 99. Okay, right now these are all garbage, and these are these are this is space for pointers, the fractions. Okay, and then we have a count. So this is on the activation record for this function. So a count is initially 0. All right, so we can say FAR sub a count, so which would be the first element of FAR, it's a really hard thing to say, is assigned a new fraction. Now, when that executes, on the heap, there'll be a new fraction for us. And anyone want to guess what the values of that would be? It's 6 For you and then. So what constructor gets called here, would you guess? When I say new fraction. Default. Yeah, default. Right, so it'll be 0 and 1. And now, this element of FIR points to that fraction and you can do this in a loop. You can keep on going with that. So in the end, you would have let's say a hundred, a um, hundred uh, pointers to, to fractions and a hundred fractions on the heap. And you can also read, right? You can say farr sub a count, All right? So that'd be the first one there arrow read. So that when we read it from, from the two or something. Or you can even use the insert the right the insertion operator. Extraction operator rather. Okay. Cool. Alright, so let me wrap up here. Alright, so getting uh, dynamic memory for non scalar types, so arrays for example. You can do something like this. You can write it up here. So you declare the pointer, right, to integer, and I'll call this DAR, for dynamic. This is going to be a dynamic right now. And the way you write this is that you say new a r r. Oh, excuse me. Actually, it's a type name, right? So new and and then the size does not fire, You actually can have a variable n, n is a variable. So that doesn't need to be a constant anymore. So now in memory there's some array, and in fact we can do that here. So we can say we can switch this to be as follows. We can say ret int ret make us a pointer. Assign new integer array on the heap of max uh, max size, I guess. I mean, that you can make a variable. Everything stays the same. Isn't that cool? The only problem is that here you'd have to delete your array when you're done with it. And the way you do that is use the delete keyword followed by a bracket and open close bracket and then followed by the array. So that releases it. And now this works, because this array is allocated on the heap. And when the stack activation record for this function is popped, it returns the value of an array that's on the heap, which persists after the function is over. Any questions on that? So that's how you release uh, memory for non-scalar types for arrays using the delete keyword followed by the open-close um, bracket notation. So for normal ones, you just say just a single delete, right, to release it like this one here. And then, for example, if you want to release this one, you say delete open-close bracket followed by the array. And if you don't delete them, they become memory leaks. So, let's remember: when you request uh, memory, you always need to release it as well. And I think that's it. I think that's all I wanted to say. So that's good. We got done in almost now. An Any other questions? Okay. Well, that's all. And feel free to stay afterward if you want to talk to me about anything else. even though material work. And take up these, because I can't actually. Sure, good luck. Good luck on Wednesday. Thanks for coming.